Okay, so we're still talking about the basic Christian belief, the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God, the Son, become a man. And uh, if you open up to Isaiah 7, 14, that's going to be the first passage we're going to talk about today. I'll be working on the, if you have the handouts, the one that says the deity of Christ, and I'll be talking about the Old Testament prophets called Jesus God. Last week, we talked about the apostles in the New Testament. They called Jesus God. Now we're going to be looking at the the Old Testament prophets that the, the Jews should have known that their Messiah was going to be God incarnate. And so if you bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we know, Lord, that uh, we're not worthy. We're not deserving of your salvation. We're not deserving of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And, Lord, none of us are even worthy to proclaim your perfect truth. So I acknowledge, Lord, that I'm not worthy to proclaim your truth. So I pray, Lord, that as John said, you would cancel the man and that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse, a greater glimpse of who your son is. He's not just a a guy from history. He's fully man, but he is also fully God the Son, become a man. So I pray, Lord, that we would never downgrade Jesus, that we would worship him with all of our beings. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us by your spirit and for your glory to apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, the the deity of Christ. Last week we looked at the fact that the apostles, the authoritative leaders in the early church, the ones that Jesus himself commissioned, uh, the apostles taught us that Jesus is God. We're going to see where they got that from, that idea. They got it from Jesus himself. We'll see that probably next week. But I'm going to show you that even in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the coming Messiah, the one that God would anoint and send into the world to rescue the Jews from their sins and from their enemies, the ultimate Jewish king, that there were numerous passages in the Old Testament that said when Messiah comes, he is Yahweh. The I am who I am spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So when Ben Shapiro, you know, God bless him. I hope he gets saved someday. When he says that's the number one tenet of Judaism, God could not become a man. No, Ben, that's the number one tenet of Islam. (laughs) Judaism didn't take on a foolish tenet like that until after God did become a man because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for political, military, conquering Messiah. They rejected him, and so uh, they got trumped up charges on of blasphemy um, and then sent them to, to Pilate and, um, and tried to claim treason there to get our Lord uh, crucified. But we're going to see that the Old Testament prophets called Jesus God, so the Jews should have, should have understood that. They should have acknowledged that. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, you had uh, at at this particular time, uh, you had the Syrians, they they were messing with uh, the the Jews, the northern tribes and the southern tribes, and Assyria, in fact, it was Assyria that was messing with them. And so God gives... Uh, a message to King Ahaz and through Isaiah the prophet. And God's going to give him a sign that everything's going to be all right for the southern tribes. Okay, the northern tribes got taken captive by Assyria in uh, around uh, 722 B.C. But in verse 14, Isaiah says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us, that the Messiah was going to come, and when he comes, he would be born to a virgin, and that would be a sign to them that Messiah has come. But Messiah is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Look further at Isaiah 9, 6. In fact, we'll look at verses Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. The prophet Isaiah says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. I mean, look at all the problems, the issues we have with government right now. Okay? We got... uh, got a government that just, you know, I'll be honest with you, our government doesn't love us anymore. We got politicians who's do, who, who do what they think is going to give them more power, and they lie to us, and they lie to different groups of Americans, and they win their votes, and then they take on policies that just destroy us, destroy our incomes, destroy uh, our livelihoods, destroy our freedoms. Isaiah says, unto us, a child is born. And so we, some of us are getting weary the way the government's beating on us. You know, you want, uh, you want me to give you a word of encouragement? Okay? You want a word of encouragement? I'm not going to be talking about some red wave, okay? By the way, there probably would have been one, but I don't think, I think, uh, I don't think we really have free elections anymore. I don't think America's been free, at least since they shut down the churches in March of 2020. But if the government's beating you down and the state wants to be treated like God, deification of the state, you want a word of encouragement? I'll give you a word of encouragement. For unto us, a child is born. God looked at the evil governments. God instituted human government to keep order and to protect our God-given rights. But then evil people took over human governments and they used the governmental power to enslave us. God saw all of that. And God wants to give us hope. What is the hope going to be? And he's going to solve an even bigger problem, the problem of our sin. Government is a big problem. I will, I will be honest with you on that. If you look in the mirror, that's the biggest problem you face. You're a fallen sinner who needs salvation from Jesus, something you don't deserve. But here's God's solution to the problem. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Not your little shoulders, Bill Gates. Not on your shoulders, Joe Biden. Government's going to be upon, not on the, you know, not even on Donald Trump's shoulders. Okay, um, the government's going to rest upon the shoulders of a little child, a son who's given to us, but the little guy grows up and becomes a young, strong Jewish man. But he happens to be God, is what Isaiah is going to tell us here. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He's going to rule over the, not just the entire world, he's going to rule over the entire universe. Upon the throne of David, on King David's throne, he is going to sit and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so God promises. He promised us the first Christmas. He promised us the child would be born, the son would be given. But the day is going to come when the government will rest upon his shoulder. He'll shepherd the nations with an iron rod. But his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. 
mighty God. And on the way over, my wife was playing on her on her cell phone because we can't figure out how to get it to play on the, uh, you know, they, they sent me like, you know, 20 textbook size emails on how to operate that new vehicle that you guys blessed us with. We still can't, uh, um, I'm in like first or second grade on it. And it's just like PhD level when you figure out how to do that. But so on her cell phone, she was playing different songs. And one of them was the Mark Lowry song, Mary, Did You Know, you know? And Ma- Mary knew because God told her, but she kept forgetting. When he got lost at age 12, she's trying to discipline God, okay? He had a reminder, hey, Mom, I had to be about my father's business, okay? And um, but who would have thought that that little child is going to fix everything that's wrong on this planet, everything that's wrong in the whole universe. And if you trust in him, everything that's wrong with you, everything that's wrong with me, this little child, this little child, how many people are going to think about that this Christmas? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. He's the mighty God. Now, don't let everlasting father throw you for a loop there. Because the word for father, I mean, we think of God as father because the Old Testament, God was, and it's talking about the whole triune God, was the father of the nation of Israel, okay? But we think of God, the father, in his relationship with God, the son, and the relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the triune God. And, um, uh, but in the Old Testament here, this word for father the Hebrew word just means the origin. And, uh, and so you could basically say he is the eternal creator, the eternal uncaused cause of everything else that exists. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the mighty God, and he is the, he is the eternal creator. This is very important. Jesus is going to say later on in John chapter 8, 23 and 24, we don't have time to look at it, he tells, he's telling the Jewish religious look, guys, I'm from above. You guys are from below. You're from earth. I'm from above. And he's basically, I'll just paraphrase it. Unless you believe I'm God, you're going to die in your sins. So don't try to have a watered-down Christianity that demotes Jesus and Nazareth. When you look in the face of the Lord Jesus, when you see him face-to-face, You're going to be looking at God, God the Son. Don't ever, don't ever demote him. And uh, it's not not what you know, it's who you know. You know King Jesus, King Jesus will take care of you. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everybody promises us peace. The Bible condemns political leaders and false prophets who say, peace, peace when there is no peace. But there is a peace. The Prince of Peace. The Lord Jesus will return and bring peace to the planet Earth when he shepherds the nations with an iron rod and sits on the throne of David. Uh, But here we see that Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 7.14, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. He's the mighty God. He's the eternal creator. Then you look at Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And this reads, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So it's saying that the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, yet he is from uh, eternity. Messiah is from uh, eternity. He is everlasting. Let me tell you, if you're a person, and you're eternal, no beginning and no end, 
There's only three persons that qualify for that. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who share the divine nature. There's only one God, one being, one what, but there's three who's. Three, I would go so far to say, it's three centers of consciousness within God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the babe that's born to a virgin in Bethlehem is from everlasting. He is from eternity. He is God himself. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. The Old Testament book of Zechariah. Chapter 14. Verse 2 says, And I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So the day is going to come when every nation on earth is going to send representatives. It might be a United Nations vote. All the nations in the United Nations might take a vote and say, okay, let's get a UN peacekeeping force. That's a, that's not an oxymoron. I don't know what is. Let's get a UN peacekeeping force and send it into Jerusalem and wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. And so all nations are going to invade Israel. And I'm sure at that point, many of the Jews are going to say, wow, we're going to be wiped off the face of the earth and our Messiah has never come. I think right at this point is when the sun darkens, the moon doesn't give its light, the stars fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens are shaken, but, um, but then it's going to click and the Jews are going to recognize that their Messiah already came and he's Jesus of Nazareth. And so then in verse 5 it says, Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now if you look there, the word Lord in most English translations is all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you read the beginnings of your beginning of your Bible, the preface, it lets you know that that's the way, that's the normal way they translate Yahweh, okay? And um, Elohim can sometimes be used in a functional or a metaphysical, a symbolic way, or to describe false gods, Elohim. So there's a sense where there's like many gods, but they're not real gods. There's only one infinite creator, eternal creator God. And the one infinite eternal creator God, that's Yahweh. And, um, but here, when Jesus returns to rescue Israel, he's called the Lord my God, Yahweh Elohim. Okay? So I'm sorry, Ben Shapiro. If you just would read your own Old Testament scriptures, you would see that it is prophesied and it is promised that God will visit the, the planet Earth uh, by becoming a man and the God-man will be the Jewish Messiah. Another passage is Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. By the way, Ben Shapiro can't have it both ways. Um, if he's going to say that it's essential to uh, the Jewish faith that you not believe that God can become a man, then that means all his Christian buddies, all his conservative Christian buddies are idolaters. But he doesn't say that. He acts like they're going to heaven, and he can't have it both ways. Either uh, either the Christians are right, or they're or we're idolaters. But Jeremiah twenty three five and six. Jeremiah is this. And this is really interesting too, because it's right after Jeremiah twenty two, where God pronounces a curse on Jeconiah's bloodline. Jeconiah was the ruling Jewish king going all the way back to King Solomon and then to King David. And God curses the royal line. And what happened was the Babylonians took him captive. They let him sit at the table with the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
and treated him like royalty, but he wasn't free to go. And then they took, I don't know if it was his uncle, Zedekiah or whatever. They put him up as a puppet ruler and he didn't cooperate with the Babylonians. So they uh, killed his son in his sight. And then they put out his eyes so that the last memory he would have would be of his sons being killed. And they took him captive. But Jeconiah's line was cursed. None of Jeconiah's descendants would sit on the throne of David. So when you look at Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus and the gospel of Matthew, that goes from, that's the royal line, goes from uh, David through his son Solomon, all the way down through Jeconiah, and then all the way through to Matthew, to uh, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. So Jesus was adopted into the royal line. But the Old Testament also says he's going to be a literal son of David, a biological son of David. That's Luke's genealogy, the biological line of Jesus. That's Mary's genealogy. It's not through David's son, Solomon. It's through David's son, Nathan. Okay? But I'm sure many Jews would have looked at at Jeremiah chapter 22 and say, it's all over. It's all over. If Jeconiah's line is cursed, the royal line is cursed. How is somebody who's going to have the right to the royal line of King David reign over Israel if Jeconiah's line is cursed? Well, Jesus of Nazareth was adopted into the royal line, but he was also, in order to be the Messiah, he's got to be a biological son of David through Mary all the way back to David's son, uh, Nathan, not Solomon. And so they, they, but they must have been concerned and it must have been one of the saddest passages for them to read, Jeremiah 22. But in the very next passage, of course, they didn't have the chapter breaks back then. Verses five and six, uh, the Lord Yahweh says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, says Yahweh, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a descendant of David, a king shall reign and prosper. They're probably scratching their heads. How can a branch of David reign when the royal line has been cut off? A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Literally, that's Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh does not share his name with another. I know Yuval Noah Harari wrote Homo Deus, where he thinks we're going to create the God-man. Lots of, lots of these sci-fi type guys nowadays, they're not really scientists and they're not too brilliant as far as being philosophers, but um, they're saying that God doesn't exist. He's a fairy tale, but God might exist in the future. They're talking about man taking over evolution and through artificial intelligence and through making human machine hybrids that eventually we're going to have gods. But even Harari acknowledges we can't produce the God of the Bible, who he thinks is a fairy tale. I don't know how he thinks we got here, but that's the we got here by God. He rejects that God, but he says we're going to be like the Roman and Greek gods where man will be able to live to be 150 years old and things of that sort. And, um, and of course, not everybody's going to get the upgrade. Only the powerful billionaires are going to get the upgrade. So if you don't get the upgrade, what do we do with all these worthless human beings now that AI could do their work? Well, uh, you know, uh, God, the son became a man. Man is not going to become God. All Harari is doing with his homo deus, the God man. And Bill Gates is on board with this and former President Obama's on board with it. Um, but all they're doing is just coming up with a really sophisticated, really complicated, really cutting edge way of just proclaiming the same lie that the serpent gave us in the garden. 
that if you declare war on the God of the Bible, you won't die, you'll become as gods. It was false then, and it's false now. But this branch of David, this branch of David is the true homo deus, the true God-man. God the Son become a man, and he is the Lord our righteousness, Yahweh Sidkenu. You know, it, it, I'm going to heaven. If you're a believer, you're going to heaven because we've got the ticket to heaven, which is perfect righteousness, but it's not our righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. Yahweh Sidkenu. And then the whole, the whole judgment is going to be based on the righteousness of Christ. If you don't trust in Jesus for salvation, your own righteousness, which Isaiah says is filthy rags before the Lord, will be measured against Jesus' perfect righteousness. When that happens, you're going down. But if you're humble enough to acknowledge you, you can't save yourself, you deserve the flames of hell, and then you trust in the Lord Jesus, then he credits to your account uh, the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, uh, and so uh, Jesus is Yahweh Sidkenu. So who is this Jewish, this coming Jewish Messiah? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the mighty God. He's the eternal creator. He is eternal. He's from everlasting. He is Yahweh, our Elohim. He is Yahweh, Sidkenu, Yahweh, our righteousness. And so even, it, 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 it wasn't even just the apostles in the New Testament who knew Jesus, were taught by Jesus, and then by rising from the dead, Jesus proved his claims to be true. It wasn't just them. Who knew that Messiah would be God? Even the Old Testament saints knew that he's God. Now, I don't think I have a handout there for you on the Old Testament messianic prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. So just sit back and meditate, think about, focus on these passages that I talk about. I'm just going to give you like 25 or 26 Old Testament prophecies. We're not going to read them. We're not going to look them up. I'm just going to mention them. But just think about it, how God tells us that, look, there's going to be a suffering Savior. He's going to be the Jewish Messiah. And he gives us more and more hints about who he's going to be. And we're going to see that when the Old Testament prophet said that when Messiah comes, he will be God incarnate, we're going to see they were talking about Jesus. We're going to see that only Jesus qualifies to be the Jewish Messiah. No one else. No one else in history in the past. No one else in the history in the future. And uh, first thing is in Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve fell, God promised that the seed of the woman, and he calls the seed of the woman a he. So a man born of woman. By the way, seed, whenever it's mentioned in the scriptures, it's always like the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the seed is what the man contributes to new life. So it's the only time in the Bible where it's the seed of a woman. And C.S. Lewis thought, I, I think God is hinting at the virgin birth right there in Genesis 3.15 after mankind fell. But the prophecy tells us that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, Satan, are going to be at war, but Satan will bruise the heel of this Savior, but the Savior will save us by crushing the head of the serpent, defeating Satan. And so we have a prediction right there to Adam and Eve. 
Now, who were Adam and Eve back then? Adam and Eve were all of mankind. There was no humans apart from them. So they got to tell their little kids, their first son was a murderer, Cain. They got to tell Cain and Abel and eventually Seth. And uh, then they had many sons and daughters. And they told their kids as well and then their grandkids. Things went wrong because the adversary, the devil, Satan, spoke through the serpent. We, we know that from Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The serpent, Satan spoke through the serpent. But they tell the kids, that's the problem we got into. But the solution, there's going to be a man born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent but will suffer in the process. And so this went out to all mankind, the prediction of a suffering Savior. It might be, we're not sure, it might be why we see pagan myths that talk about suffering saviors. But at this particular point, the suffering, dying, and rising Savior stories, it seems like those were amendments, changes to those stories after Christianity got established. So to compete with Christianity, they changed their stories up. But, you know, God gives us all kinds of hints. A lot of the pagan myths were based on the seasonal cycles, where in the fall and the winter, vegetation would die, and in the spring and the summer, it would come back to life. It's going on and on of death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Right at the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, God promised there's going to be a man born of woman. It's going to crush the head of the serpent, a savior, a redeemer, but he's going to suffer in the process. As time goes on, you know, so, so, so you know, this is what, what is called... Um, Philosophers of religion and, and uh, anthropologists and sociologists call this uh, original monotheism. The earliest religion of man uh, was belief in one creator God and then animal sacrifice to, uh, to please him and to worship him. And that, that eventually devolved into polytheism, worship of many gods and things of that sort. But Wilhelm Schmidt, the great Roman Catholic anthropologist, was the guy who, who came up with the title Original Monotheism. By the way, we see that in Abel. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Belief in the one personal creator God and animal sacrifice to worship him. Why? Because of the promise going back to the garden that... Um, the suffering Savior would come to atone for man's sins. And this is why Adam and Eve, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Genesis 2 ends, they were naked and not ashamed. Once they sinned, they were naked and ashamed. Evolutionists, by the way, still haven't really explained why all humans, except you want to be real, you want to really get in God's face and be disrespectful, then you start a nudist colony. But for all practical purposes, all human beings on a planet, you could be in one of the hot, it's not just the temperature. You could be in the hottest climate on the planet Earth and people are still covering their private parts. You know, if you watch a documentary and everybody's covering their private parts, except for some nine-year-old little boy running around stark naked, poor kid hasn't reached the age of consciousness yet. <laughs> he hasn't quite gotten the memo yet, okay? Eventually one day he's going to stop and he's going to think, I'm the only one without clothes on here. <laughs> and I feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a thing called guilt, dude. It's been there since the garden. And, uh, but God knew the fig leaves weren't going to work. He covered them with animal skin, which means he probably slaughtered animals. So innocent bloodshed to atone for sin. But the suffering Savior will come and shed his blood. The problem was, though, then all the nations started perverting God's salvation message 
they started twisting it, and God appointed angels to head up the different nations. And instead of the angels pointing people to the true God, they pretended to be God. They pretended to be gods and had people worship them. So God decided, God was very practical. He decided, I'm going to enter into the battle of the gods. I'm going to supernaturally produce through Sarah's barren womb uh, a son for Abraham, Isaac, and from him is going to come my chosen nation, and from that chosen nation will come Messiah. But the God of Israel will be known in the battle of the gods, not the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of the Babylonians, but the God of Israel alone is the true creator God, the eternal God. And... Um, and then, uh, and Israel was to be a light to the nations. And so God tells us that, that he is going to bless all nations through Abraham's seed, a prediction that the Messiah would come from uh, Abraham. So he'd be a descendant of Abraham. That's in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. So now we're starting to narrow things down a little bit. Abraham was not just the father of the Jewish nation. There were numerous nations that came from him because he got remarried to a lady named Keturah after Sarah died. But he's going to come from the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not be taken from Judah until Shiloh comes, until the one to whom it belongs comes. And um, the Jews lost the right to execute criminals, except in religious cases, the Romans took that away from them right around time. Little 12-year-old guy was having theological discussions in the temple. His name was Jesus. In fact, one rabbi was quoted as saying from back then, woe be unto us, for the scepter has been taken from Judah and Messiah has not yet come. No, he came. He was there. You just didn't notice him yet. And uh, But he'd be descendant. The seed of the woman is going to be the descendant, the seed of Abraham from the tribe of Judah. And then within the tribe of Judah, he's going to be a descendant of Jesse, who is David's father, Isaiah 11.1. 1. Jeremiah 23, we just read, he'll be a descendant of David. So now it's narrowing down. He's going to be born to a virgin. Passage we read, Isaiah 7, 14. Born in Bethlehem, the city of David, Micah 5, 2. His birth would be announced by a star, some kind of heavenly occurrence. The word star is not as precise in ancient times as it is today. and uh, But it, uh, his birth would be announced by a star, I, don't, I think that, that might be a typo. I think it's like Numbers 24, 17. Um, but his birth would be announced by a star. He'd have a forerunner, Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. Even the specific time of his coming, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, has a, an awful lot of prophetic aspects to it but one of the aspects is it predicts that the Messiah would come and would be executed before the temple was destroyed. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Okay? And um, uh, in Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 6, we find out he, he would heal the sick. The lame would walk. The blind would see. The deaf would hear. So his miracles, he would teach in parables, Psalm 78.2. Parable is a true-to-life story that teaches spiritual truth, whereas an allegory is a story not true to life, like I am the vine, you are the branches, but still teaches spiritual truth. A parable, like the sower went out to sow, well, that's what farmers do, they sow seed. And so a parable is a true-to-life story that teaches spiritual truth. It was prophesied Messiah would teach in parables. He'd be rejected by the Jews, Isaiah 53. It says it throughout the book of Isaiah. 
that Messiah, when he comes, would be rejected by his own people, the Jews. Yet, he would receive a wide Gentile following. Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. You realize that um, if you're a Gentile, you're actually evidence that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The fact that there are people, non-Jews, all over the world in different countries that gather to worship the Jewish Messiah when the Jews rejected him, the wide Gentile following, we're actually evidence that Jesus is the true Jewish Messiah. It's predicted in Zechariah 11, he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 13, verse 7, he would be forsaken by his disciples. In Zechariah 9, 9, Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey while receiving a king's welcome. He'd be silent before his accusers. The only time Jesus spoke before his accusers was for their well-being. He never spoke in defense of himself. Okay? Silent before his accusers. Um, he would be crucified. King David said, he starts out Psalm 22, um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus quoted that from the cross. Every Orthodox Jew there should have said, why is he quoting from Psalm 22? They went back then and looked at the scroll of Psalm 22 when they got a chance. They would have seen that David talks about a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, they pierced my hands and my feet. That never happened to David. They cast lots for my garments. That never happened to David. If David wasn't talking about himself, if he was talking about another, he's the king of Israel. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Messiah, okay? And, um, and so he would be crucified. By the way, crucifixion wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even something you did uh, back in 1000 BC. Uh, soldiers would cast lots for his garments, and also Psalm 22, verse 18 his bones would not be broken, Psalm 34, 20. Now, keep in mind, Jesus probably had fractures all over his face and body. But back then, a fracture didn't count as a broken bone. Broken bone was you had to have a bone that snapped, okay? So had they broken Jesus' ankle on the cross, according to Exodus chapter 12, about the Passover lamb, and, um, and then also... Um, According to Psalm 34, 20, he would not be the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish Messiah could have no broken bones. And um, hence it was important for that to be reported. His side was pierced, Zechariah 12, 10. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. Actually, when you look at it, Isaiah 53 tells us, around Isaiah 53, 9, he's going to be associated with criminals in his death. He was crucified with two criminals yet he's going to be associated with the wealthy at his death. Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea provided for his burial. He was buried in Joseph Arimathea's tomb, a brand-new tomb. Um, and then his resurrection from the dead is predicted, Psalm 16.10. King David said God would not allow his Holy One's body to see decay. Peter quotes that on the Feast of uh, Pentecost in Acts 2. We say, well, David couldn't be talking about himself. We could visit his tomb to this day. If he wasn't talking about himself, who would the king of Israel, God's chosen nation, be talking about? He must have been talking about Messiah. Peter's almost begging his crowd, go check out Jesus' tomb. It's empty. That King David was talking about Jesus. By the way, in that, in southern Israel, where Jerusalem is, with that climate, uh, you know, when you die, your body shortly goes into the state of rigor mortis, but you don't start to decay until the fourth day, which is why they told Jesus, you don't want us to roll the stone away because, in the, like the King James says, he stinketh. Uh, it was the fourth day. And so Messiah has to be raised from the dead in three days or less if his body's not going to see decay. And um, 
And so his resurrection from the dead is predicted. His ascension to heaven, Psalm 68, verse 18, and his position at the Father's right hand, Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now you look at these, and there's hundreds and more of these prophecies, and there's types. Um, the holy place in the temple, in the tabernacle, the portable temple, was covered with animal skin. Oh, wow, God's presence enclosed in skin? If that's not a hint that God's going to become a man, I don't know what is. The animal sacrifices, the bloodshed of animals never took away sins, but it pointed forward to the day when God was sent, the ultimately worthy Lamb of God who would shed his blood for us. The Jewish feast days that Jesus fulfilled, he's our Passover lamb. He fulfills the feast of unleavened bread. He removes our sin from us. The feast of first fruits, he's the down payment. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection in full. Okay, feast of Pentecost, he baptized us with the Holy Spirit. Now we're in the summer gap. We're waiting for the feast of trumpets, the feast, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, and the feast of tabernacles to be fulfilled. That will be when Jesus returns and um, all Israel is saved. And then when Jesus reigns upon the earth for a thousand years. So God gave all these hints, but you could look at these prophecies I'm telling you, you could just take a few of them. Okay, Messiah, you look, uh, Messiah has to be executed before the temple is destroyed. Temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Well, were there, were there a lot of guys who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah who were executed before 70 AD? Yes. Gamaliel mentions two of them in Acts chapter 5. A Thutis and a Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, but a Thutis and a Judas who claimed to be the Messiah, led a small uprising against Rome, and Roman crushed, the Romans crushed them and killed them. And then Gamaliel says, I see a formula there. Dead Messiah equals dead Messiah movement. So if Jesus isn't the real Messiah, eventually his movement will die out. Hey, Gamaliel, it's been 2,000 years now. The church is growing right now at a faster rate than any other time. In the history of the church. It's just not in America and Europe. That's where the church is in decline. Africa is one of the most uh, Christian, if not the most Christian continent on the planet Earth right now. About 47% of African peoples profess faith in Christ. But they give no political power. They're getting persecuted, just like the underground church in China. Okay? And, um, but whatever the case, so the Messiah has to come before 70 AD and be executed, but then he's got to be rejected by the Jews and receive a wide Gentile following. Let me ask you this. Is there any other guy that claimed to be the Jewish Messiah who was executed before 70 AD, was rejected by his people, the Jews, yet has Gentiles all over the world, worshiping him. There's only one. Not Bill Gates, not George Soros, not Harari. There's only one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. See, Jesus claimed to be God but he proved that he is God by his public miracles, his bodily resurrection from the dead, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, and then he had the greatest positive impact on the history of mankind. Okay? Um, we got people now turning into a mushroom cult, saying Christianity is a mushroom cult. Really? People were hallucinating by taking mushrooms, and that led to all the founding of modern science and all the advances in the history of Western civilization, last time I saw a guy getting into hallucinogenic drugs, he didn't bring a whole lot to the table. Okay? King Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's God incarnate. And uh, now, I want to look at Isaiah 
We're going to be wrapping it up here, but Isaiah 45. I love the book of Isaiah. When I, used to, when I was a new believer, I used to make, write, make up my own songs. And I'm telling you, Isaiah and Psalms are the easiest. It just, it just rings out there. And uh, so I was singing this this morning and all, but look to me, Isaiah 45, 22, and be saved. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me, God is speaking, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. That's the prediction, okay? Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Now remember, Isaiah says, you know, the Lord that cries out to us, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That God tells us, the one true God tells us, every knee is going to bow before me and every tongue will take an oath to me. Well, who is that? Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Paul says this. Paul, probably the, what would I rank him? Probably the second greatest Jewish rabbi who ever lived uh, behind King Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, so in other words, he continued to exist in nature as God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't cling to his equal privileges with God, even though he continued to be God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is telling us, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle is telling us that when Isaiah was saying every knee is going to bow before Yahweh and swear an oath to him, he's talking about King Jesus. By the way, it's not just the knees of believers. All the powerful people, the kings of this earth that are blaspheming Jesus and taking a stand against him, they will bow. Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh said, Jesus is God incarnate. So the, the issue, when you're talking with your friends and they're not saved, or a stranger that you're talking to who's not saved, okay? The issue is not, you know, you don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, excuse me, Joe Shmo, will, will you bow? Before Jesus, would you choose to do that? Some of us are going to choose to do it. Some of us are going to choose not to do it. No, we need to tell Joe Schmo, I love you. I want to see you saved. But the day is going to come when you're going to bow before Jesus. The issue is not, are you going to bow before Jesus? You will bow. All creation will bow before Jesus. Even Lucifer will bow before Jesus. Even the powerful people of our world that want to be gods themselves will bow before Jesus. The, is, the question is not, um, will you bow before Jesus? The question is this, will you voluntarily bow before Jesus now and accept him as your savior? Or are you going to be forced to bow before Jesus because of his sheer power, okay? 
Jesus is the real homo deus, the real God-man. And every knee will bow before him. You know, when you talk, I'm getting chills right now because I'm just thinking about the power of God, the infinite power of God, the omnipotence of God, and it's kind of making me a little bit afraid, a little bit scared. You got powerful people. They're declaring war against Jesus. They're going to lose. They're going to bow. I'm going to close with this. That all-powerful God, you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You got to acknowledge two things to start thinking straight. There is a God and you're not him. Okay? So you better get with his program. Okay? But it's all-powerful God. That's pretty scary. And then what does he say to us? Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, even the Gentiles. For I am God and there is no other. If you don't realize that God visited, the creator visited his creation. John said, in the beginning was the word where it was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. God visited this planet, and he is all-powerful. You oppose him, you lose, but he cries out to us, turn to me and be saved. Oh, the ends of the earth. <sighs> for I am God and there is no other. God loves you. If you don't know him already, when you walked in, please, he's pulling at the strings of your heart right now. You might not get another chance. Trust in, in King Jesus, the God-man. God the Son become a man. Trust in him alone for salvation. He is God. He is all-powerful. but he is good. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I pray that we would not just accept the, the world's depiction of Jesus as uh, some politically correct wimp who lived and died 2,000 years ago. The true Jesus of the Bible conquered the grave. He died on the cross for our sins, and he is God the Son become a man. And so I pray, Lord, when we, when we walk with Jesus, that we recognize we are walking with God incarnate. We are walking with God the Son. And so, yes, Lord, there's no other way of salvation. We need to trust in your Son, Jesus, alone for salvation. We need to serve him and obey him because he is our Lord and our Master. But we also need to worship Because he is God, the Son, become a man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Yahweh Sidkenu. He is the mighty God. May we worship him until that day when he returns in glory to take his stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Hope you stay for the potluck.